is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chess fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. One of your hosts, Dan, here, and we are getting into the final days leading into the start of the 2022-2023 Premier League season. Chelsea still have plenty of work to do, even after looking a little fitter over the weekend in our last set of preseason matches versus Udinese. But this episode, we are going to be digging into who those defensive transfer targets are, doing a deep dive into what they would bring, pluses and minuses, and trying to figure out amongst this very interesting list shall we say of people that have been linked with Chelsea this window with Thomas Tuchel acting as lead scout and first team coach and Todd Bowley acting as director of football as well as owner and chairman of the board of Chelsea FC what are we actually trying to accomplish what is the style and profile player that we're looking to go after and we're going to do that across two episodes here so each one of them we're going to get into three defenders figuring out what their fit is how they're going to potentially make Chelsea better more defensively solid we hope and to do that wonderful friend Sam also known as CFC Central to many joins me again and we're going to jump into these defensive targets Sam and trying to figure out who is the best fit amongst them and really what they would or wouldn't bring based upon what people have seen because there's some in-depth analysis that we put together to really help people understand what each of these players, what, what their makeup is. Hello, good evening, Dan. Sorry, I was just struggling with the mute button, panicking a little bit, <laughs> pressing, trying to figure out, am I audible? But yeah, thank you so much for the lovely introduction and great to be back on the pod. I think uh, after a nice, exhausting US tour for you, not so much for me, you know, nice to sort of pick your brain with my football questions and have lovely conversations again. So thank you so much. The privilege is all mine. Well, I doubt that, but we will go forward <laughs> with that as the operating plan. But look, just to set the stage, we've brought in Koulibaly. We have gotten many players who've been linked and that we walked away. We apparently had agreed to terms, at least personal terms with Nathan Naki and decided that that wasn't going to happen. We helped drive up the price for Mateus Delict and Byron ended up getting him. Kunde, we think we had, but then we decided, or Sevilla has put out through their official Twitter, that we decided to walk away from the deal. And now, effectively, we have been linked with any center back with a pulse at this point in all of the top European leagues. And so we're going to get into some specific in this episode. We're going to talk about Fofana, Skrinar, and we're also going to get into Pau Torres in the first series. And then we're going to get into uh, Batashiel and then uh, Samikan and then Gardevoir as our last set of three. So two, two, uh, two episodes, three apiece, getting into it. But I, I think what we would want to do first, Sam, is this is a really mixed list of players different styles different settings back threes back fours and we also have i would say maybe a hodgepodge of defenders currently particularly with rudiger leaving aspilicueta wanting to leave alonzo wanting to leave christensen leaving tiago silva getting older but again benjamin button of football so shouldn't be too concerned 
And then Reese James, Chalaba, Levi Colwell, Ampadu potentially as an option or as a rotational option. What is our defensive thought or what should we be thinking about the framing back three, back four? And what type of profile of defender should we be going after? But I think then the good thing is in terms of versatility in our back line, we're pretty stacked. I mean, if you look at Khaled Kuribadi, somebody who's, you know, predominantly played in a back four, but capable of playing in a in a back three as well. He's played at the central position. He's played on the left centre-back. He's played at the right centre-back for his national team. You know, so it sort of gives us freedom to manoeuvre in the market. For example, if you cannot find a good right centre-back, you could probably put Koulibaly on the right centre-back slot and look for a left centre-back, which is why we've been linked with the likes of, you know, Guardiol, who's, you know, a, a predominantly a left centre-back. Can also play centre, but predominantly plays on the left-hand side, whereas strengths are very evident. So we are arguably linked with, you know, a host of different profiles, but they have like most things in common in terms of being able to play in both systems, back four and back three, can play probably at least two slots. Uh, you know, you look at Fofana, he can play across the back line. Koulibaly, like I mentioned, can play across the back line. Guardiol can play left, can play center. Um, Badia Shile has also played in the center, can play on, on the wide center back uh, slot as well. So I think it's great to be in sort of like a zone where you have versatility and obviously can uh, offer the flexibility of going from back four to a back three, game to game, or even in the same game as we've seen Tuchel do against Tottenham and against a couple of opponents last season. So when we look at then maybe the thought of Fofana as the one player that maybe is generating, at least socially on Twitter and other conversations, the most excitement but might be one of the most difficult deals to do. Chelsea do have a very good history of being able to do deals with Leicester City, Ben Chilwell most recently, Danny Drinkwater, and Golo Kante. Two out of three ain't bad in terms of the deals that we've been able to manage to get across the line, and then high prices are quoted, and we can eventually negotiate it down and come up with a package that typically involves cash plus bonuses and add-ons. This, to me, seems like the most exciting out of all the options that we're discussing. But he is coming off an injury, a significant injury, and missing the vast majority of last season. It was a total of 12 matches played before his leg injury that kept him out. But we also have seen that Chelsea, with a player with leg injuries like Rudiger, have been able to get the best out of a defender coming into this side. And you're potentially banking on the fact that Fafana is younger. Fafana grew up as a Chelsea supporter or at least has supported Chelsea in the past. This, to me, seems like one that makes sense. Plus, he is right-footed, pretty much right-sided center back. This seemingly would just be a plug-and-play option. But tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm incorrect. And help maybe run us through where the strengths of West is going to be if he came to Chelsea. No, I think you, you've covered basically like the, the best sort of concepts that we're looking at in Fofana. Um, talking about his strengths, you know, I think he's an extremely good all-round defender. Somebody, um, I actually, when I saw him play a couple of times before, I, I couldn't tell he was six feet three inches tall. You know, he's deceptively tall. Um, because obviously when you see his ground speed, his sprinting and the way he runs, he looks like he's shorter. He's one of those 
shorter center backs who has great recovery pace, but he combines, you know, a physical presence with great speed, allows him to do a multiple amount of, uh, you know, defending traits that sometimes most defenders aren't able to combine. Like, for example, if you look at a delict, you know, somebody who's extremely tall, yes, but does he have the, the mobility? Does he have the agility to do it? Not so much. I don't see that in Fufana. I think he's an extremely good, mobile, agile defender while sort of combining his ability to, to translate his physical traits into winning duels. You know, last season, he dominated in the air. He was 68% in the air in terms of his aerial win percentage. On the ground, he won 62%, even against like very strong opponents. And uh, he's only dropped below 60% in the air once in the last five seasons. So he's very dependable. Uh, somebody who loves dueling, somebody who always comes out on top, like not always, but like 60% is, is in the Premier League, I think a very, very good percentage to take into consideration. Something I also noticed, you know, even though he's just 21 years old, he is an organizer and a good communicator. Somebody who, when he's playing in the middle of defense, even when he's playing with a senior centre-back partner like Johnny Evans, you know, happy to sort of tell him that this is where the gap is opening up. Always talks to his, his full-back. Um, I was watching this game uh, against PSV and he was playing with uh, Ricardo Pereira and always telling Pereira if there was a striker making a run on the blind side, when he was going to press someone two seconds before telling him, look, I'm going to engage, cover my back, make sure that, you know, nobody goes in behind. So he's very clear in his, in his defensive actions. He's very clear in the way he sees the game, which is always very good to see in a young defender and, and somebody who's very aware of his surroundings. Then again, he's, um, I think, really good in a back three, in a back four. He's played in both for Leicester and uh, very, very good 1v1. Somebody who, when he goes outside against quick wingers who are trying to break out on the counter, excellent. Probably one of the best that I've seen. His numbers back him up. Last season, he won 77.8% of his of his 1v1s, which is an obscenely high amount. And, and the numbers basically back him up across a good sample size as well. Like I said, good speed, good ground speed, great long strides, able to sort of stay on his feet and tackle people. So I think overall, from a physical sense, from from an intelligence sense, he makes perfect sense. You know, somebody who I think is is a great example of smart recruitment. I think you, I always say this, never underestimate, um, you know, the quality of a good defender in a bad defense. And, you know, somebody like a Gary Cahill, for example, you'd pick him out of a bad side and you give him a more stable base to thrive on and, and they tend to produce some some really good performances. And I think it could be the same with, with him, with Evans being injured last season. Um, he was basically like anchoring it the season before. Um, he was just basically anchoring it when Soyuncu was, was sort of like losing his early season form. Um, he was basically trying to hold it together and, and he's done it very, very well. It's also the additional um, factor of having like a francophone defense. You've got Koulibaly, you've got Mendy, you've got Silva, Fofana, all French speakers. So maybe a French connection also will bring us some good luck. And uh, hopefully at 21, I mean, irrespective of the transfer fee we pay for him, I think if you get a good deal out of him, if you get similar performances from Leicester, he could be the signing, you know, that lasts us for the next 10 years. So I think... Uh, in terms of future planning, makes perfect sense. So those are all a lot of reasons to be excited. You know, I think the thought of a good player in a bad team or bad system, because we've seen 
in this past decade a Leicester team that has won the Premier League and a Leicester team that is really just off course and basically cycling through managers. They've found some bit of stability now. The idea that he could come in and basically just be dropped into that right-hand side, how do you think that also maybe gets the best out of a Reese James too because I think we've talked about this idea that Reese James you know if Kunde was coming in does Reese actually end up going back to playing center back and does Kunde end up playing right wing back occasionally it was something that was rumored to be something that Thomas Tuchel had discussed with Kunde and something that Kunde was apparently not very keen on that really wanted to be deeper wanted to be in that center back role but it seems like this would ensure that Reese then isn't going to be flexing back would be in that right wing back role and then you get a really tasty overlap combination really solid defense but also you know great opportunity to move the ball forward as well because there's the progressive element of Fofana's game is strong too definitely I think in terms of um, where we would have been with Kunde I think it it sort of like sets it back a little bit because with Kunde you would expect the right center back to push forward into adventurous roles and, and try to create positional overloads. Somebody who's very good at making sure that, um, you know, Reese James would get additional space along with whoever it is that we play on the right-hand side of the attack. You know, just making, uh, at, at the base of the overload, just trying to create bodies in there, trying to drag defenders to one side. It's something that Kunde would have offered. With Fofana, he's not really as adventurous as Kunde. I don't think anybody is in that right center back role. Um, tends to be a little more cautious. But obviously, I think the one big plus that that genuinely benefits Reese James is how good uh, Fofana is while defending. So even when you're defending against on transitions, 1v1, you know, somebody who's happy to to take on defenders, sorry, to take on attackers and make sure that he's defending strongly uh, and, and comes out on top. So I think Reese would have to worry less about being caught out something that uh, may be on his mind when he's going into those advanced positions at the edge of the box, trying to get those shots away and what if the ball breaks, like what happens behind me. Uh, especially with Aspie, with Chaloba, obviously that fear was obviously there in terms of inexperience, in terms of age, in terms of just form coming into play. With Fofana, I think that that goes away a little bit and uh, gives him a little more you know, belief to to hold his position and and do things right. I do think that he might not come in at the right centre-back position. I, I do think if the Fofana deal happens, we might see him at central centre-back, like CCB. Um, probably, I'm not very sure, because Koulibaly obviously has a preference for the wide centre-back role, somebody who's happy to be aggressive, happy to push up, happy to make sure that he's making those runs. We saw that against Udinese as well. You know, One of those uh, runs that he made to the edge of the box, very Rudiger-esque, trying to push up and make sure that there was an option from deep. Fofana tends to be a little more cautious. So if Tuchel wants to insist on very progressive centre-backs, I think the intelligent decision would be to, to, you know, see Fofana as the heir of Thiago Silva and put him at CCB and basically move Sekulipali on the on the right-hand side and, um, you know, somebody else on the left-hand side. So that's probably uh, the way that I see it. But wouldn't be surprised if he's playing on the right, he's comfortable across the three. And, um, I mean, irrespective of where you see it, he does strengthen our defense considerably. Yeah, I wonder if it's a, and the way I was doing it, 
as you know, I would imagine that in most matches next season, at least ones where Tuchel's looking for that mix of experience and some of the technical, athletic, game-reading intelligence, that a back three would be assembled of Koulibaly, Silva, and Fofana, which I think Silva naturally gets the permanent dibs in the side if he's playing in a back three at the moment that he's going to be the central player and and so maybe that's where I was thinking of him being there but I, I do like this concept of this idea where if Silva was on that rotational maybe he's getting that match off does potentially a Chalaba sit into the right center back position you have Fafana central and then you have Koulibaly on the left no, definitely. I think in terms of like where we have to see uh, where Thiago Silva is in his career, plus the World Cup coming in, obviously that's going to add a lot more minutes uh, compared to last season, depending on how far Brazil go. But um, I think definitely when you look at Tuchel, he does prefer experience in vital areas. So you are definitely right in terms of when Thiago Silva is fit and running, that centre-back spot like in the centre of defence is right, definitely like locked down for him. He's not going to be able to offer any kind of progression on the wide centre-back roles. He's not going to basically carry it, you know, being adventurous. He does that a couple of times, but more often than not, he is very cautious. He tends to stay back, make sure his passing does the work. But like long-term, I think definitely after this season, when, when those questions come in, like where do you see the prime defensive anchor? Somebody who's great at obviously passing, good under pressure, make sure he reads well, make sure that he can cover really well and, and make those tackles when when transitions happen. I think Fufana is ideal in that role. Um, so I think I'm, I'm just looking at a long-term picture. Definitely, I, I agree. Like in, in the immediate short term, definitely Silva takes it. And maybe we'll see uh, Koulibaly on the right. Maybe we'll see him on the left. The other two orientations really doesn't matter too much to me because um, either of them are comfortable on, on either side. So happy to be wherever Tuchel sees it. <laughs> Well, I think in general, we're going to give a lot of credence to Thomas Tuchel, Champions League winning match, match winning manager for Chelsea to do as he sees fit with that lineup once he has the players there. But we talked a little bit about a couple of the concerns we might have. You know, obviously, I think people were uh, not were, but enjoyed sometimes the aggressive or risk taking that Antonio Rudiger had within his game, the high risk, high reward at times. And we mentioned how maybe Fofana is not going to be as risky in his style of play. We've mentioned the injury and coming off of a massive time away from the game. It is going to be very cost prohibitive, but again, it's not our money. It's the club's money. It's Todd's money, and he can do as he sees fit with it. And so I guess within those elements there, if you were stack ranking where your biggest areas of concern were, where where do you go first, and what's your kind of order of concern around Fafana at Chelsea? I think definitely the injury is, is a big question mark. Um, you know, a broken a fractured tibula that kept him out for 223 days. And he's only played 14 games after that, competitive fixtures after return. So um, the long-term effects of a, of a fractured tibula, I'm not a medical expert, but definitely some a serious injury like that definitely has long-term repercussions. So how does it hold up under, under a schedule that is, you know, completely 
packed with fixtures and and playing every three games in the Champions League, um, it it sort of leaves a little bit of doubt in my mind. Obviously, there are players who've returned very well, strong enough, and and when I see him uh, in his games post his injury, he looks absolutely fine. He doesn't look like he's suffering. But more often than not, if they are suffering, players don't tend to show them or admit that they're going through something in the background because that immediately raises a red flag. Um, but I think that is something that the medical department has to scrutinize, see if he's okay with it, what kind of stress is going to be there long term. That's going to be definitely like my number one concern. The second is obviously his experience. He's only played 35 games in the Premier League. He's been around a lot, but he's also been injured for a while. So it's a very small sample size. Um, I don't really know how he reacts to an adverse spell in terms of his form. And, and if he dips, what is his mentality? How how well does he come back? You know, those are also things that you obviously have to see when you're especially recruiting defensive players, when you're recruiting goalkeepers, when you're recruiting defenders. You look at how they react when they make a mistake. Like, how does their performance change over the next few weeks? Is that something that they're able to put at the back of their mind? Or do they obsess over it? Does it show in their game? I think those are also things that that we need to see. He's he's not played for France as yet. I think he's uncapped. I don't know if he's played friendly, but he's definitely uncapped in the competitive fixture. So he's only a U21 international. And, um, you know, international football, crunch fixtures, you need to see how players perform there as well. We don't know how he's played in the latter stages of the Champions League. Uh, we don't know how he's played in the latter stages of, you know, a, a cup final. I mean, Leicester got there, but I don't think he played. So um, it is definitely a question mark in terms of his experience, his big game pedigree. It's great to do it, you know, in and out in the in the Premier League for sure. But um, you know, in a competition where draws are non-acceptable, I think that is a big question mark also that we need to see. Uh, and the third one would be obviously, like you mentioned, is is his uh, risk-averse tendencies. Somebody who likes to rely on a safety-first approach. He's somebody who genuinely does not tackle a lot in the attacking third. I, I don't think he won a single tackle in the attacking third last season. Um, small sample size again, but just didn't make any tackles in, in that zone. Doesn't like to venture that far forward. Doesn't like defending on the front foot. He's he's very happy to let attackers take the initiative and wait for a mistake to happen before pouncing. So somebody who's just going to be, you know, backing off on the middle third, trying to delay the attackers and let them come into, you know, your defensive third before trying to get more support from your teammates and then make a defensive action. So in terms of like chronology, I would say injury, experience, and then progressive question marks. How much of the concern with the appearances or showing up in the attacking final third is due to, in your mind, the way that Leicester City plays versus his overall style? It seemingly, to me, would be more about the way Leicester play. And, but the fact that there's not even a single appearance of that data point would also maybe serve to your point, which is that he really doesn't want to risk it, even if he maybe gets the opportunity to do so. He is very process-driven on where he needs to be and not wanting to lose sight of those defensive responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a part of it is definitely down to how Leicester play. I, have, I haven't had any sample sizes for, you know, the national team. I haven't really seen him for the U21 games and I wouldn't want to judge him in a U21 environment where he's clearly international potential. I think that would be unfair to him in terms of how well he performs there. 
but uh, it could definitely be you know he could have that in his game it was a similar question that that I had discussions with regarding um Glyson Bremer who just went to Juventus somebody who obviously was a defensive tank you know excellent in in defensive aspects of play looked very rock solid highest number of in, uh, recoveries in the serie a last season so was doing a lot of things right but there were question marks over can he play with the ball you know does he fit into a system where he's going to be often under pressure where he has to build up where he has to, where he has to distribute the ball those kind of questions also come in with fofana because with bremer we didn't have a brazil um, national team sample to go with we didn't know how he played outside of torino and this is something that is a slight question mark for me where he could be capable of doing it he does have good passing numbers but how how progressive can he be when given the option of saying you know what you're in a back three system even if you lose the ball it's not the end of the world so how do you how do you pass how do you take those risks maybe he's he's capable of doing that he does do it a couple of times where he ventures forward tries to press people um you know especially when when lester have possession in the other team's half he will make sure he's closed very closely marking the the attacking forward and then after that he'll he'll try to nip in and make a tackle in the middle third but doesn't really go and press high you know he won't he won't do that he'll just try to make sure that he's keeping his position and and then sense where to go from there and uh, then just just in case there are some lesser people listening in trying to figure out um stuff i would say if there is a chance please figure out a way to get timo werner you know get him because in terms of uh finding a vardy replacement somebody who is a low touch you know high output lo- loves to run in behind constant movement in behind gets finishing in if there is a deal that can be worked out getting timo werner and fofana in the other direction please try to explore it it's it's great for both parties yeah i do think that, that would be super interesting and look if you're going to play on the counter and you're going to play the ball appropriately into the path of timo werner you got to hope that he would start scoring at some point but um maybe if the Leicester scouts are listening he don't worry he's gonna come good it's okay you should really <laughs> make that deal but look we're gonna take a very quick break and we're gonna be right back so thank you to these sponsors for supporting the show and then we'll get into Milan Skrinar all right our next partner has a product that I use literally every day I started taking AG1 because well it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in you know we're all focused on our macros with protein carbs and and fat and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so what is this stuff well with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of, blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things again i do it it's easy it's fast it's quick uh throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work drink it 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 goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over seven thousand five star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five 
free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so we can't break our habit, seemingly, Sam, of going back in for a deal with Inter, because why not? We just enjoy doing it so much, and Skrinar is the individual that has been linked numerous times to Chelsea, numerous times with top clubs. He's been on PSG's list this window, but maybe it's too rich for their blood, which is crazy. But anyway... We have a uh, Slovakian individual who has been at Inter now since 22. He's just about uh, 27, getting close to that 28 range. He was at Sampdoria for a couple years when he got his start. He seemingly has a lot of really great intangibles, which I think is what excites people more. They see this, I don't know, maybe a... Slovakian John Terry in the way that he's a vocal leader in the way that he seemingly will kind of jump into a, a tackle. He's got some pretty strong fundamentals there that he bases his game off of. And so I guess that's why people are attracted and excited about the idea of him. Uh, again, not necessarily a cheap option, but again, not our money. So where are you seeing the things that would excite people maybe beyond the intangibles or the photos of him just screaming that get people you know ginned up i think in terms of finding an experienced progressive center back um, credit to him because he's he's had a time in his career under antonio conte when he was moving away from a back four to a back three he struggled and uh, for a period of time he was dropped and it looked like he would be sold off. I mean, Alexander Kolarov, a fullback, was getting games over him. There were fullbacks playing over him. So it looked like he would be you know, just booted out because it did not fit the system. But you know, he emerged from, from that kind of difficulty to sort of adapt his game and make sure that he was ready to offer different qualities that hadn't been seen before. And like we mentioned in the Fofana segment, you love to see a player who can overcome these little challenges that come into your playing career. If, you, if you've seen you know, somebody go through an adversity and and them proactively finding the solution. I think it's great to see somebody like Australia, his leadership, his his mental resilience. I think those qualities, like you said, you know, the Slovakian, um, you know, a John Terry-esque kind of defender, old school, loves being, um, you know, defensively um, strong in terms of the way he goes into challenges, loves that, that dirty part of the game, which is great to see in a centre-back. Um, lots of strengths to admire, Dan. You know, somebody, like I said, he's not as progressive as a Kunde, but very interestingly, the way Inter have been playing, uh, they sort of take up a 4-2-4 build-up uh, shape where he actually does not play as a centre-back. He actually plays as a as a right full-back. You know, it was something that was devised to push Hakimi up uh, the season before. And then after that, it was just allowing the full-backs to push on and try to offer progressive options in terms of width. So he's, he's somebody who collects the ball in the full-back zone doesn't really participate in the first phase. Sometimes you see defenders, um, defensive midfielders or like central midfielders like Marcelo Brozovic and, and Nicolo Barella drop into centre-back position and allow Skriniar to, to use his passing and sort of find gaps wherever he can progressively. So he is very good with his passing. His short, medium, long passing, all three are excellent. I think his short and medium both 
he's got about 90% and long passing is somewhere around 70%. So somebody who completes three out of four long balls, I think that's an excellent bargain to have. So I um, think he's, he's a great fit for the system. If you're going back three, uh, even if you go back four, some of his best performances came in a back four. He's, he's very strong. You know, somebody who's able to combine the qualities of, of whatever he's learned as a wide center back and apply that to a, to a back four. So versatility is there as well. I think his strongest trait is his box defending. He's very strong in and around the box. Somebody obviously very robust, loves getting into challenges, loves blocking. Um, and so he's, he's definitely going to be useful whenever the play comes, you know, close to the box. He's going to be very strong and a good attacking force in attacking set pieces. You know, somebody who attacks the ball really well, hasn't really scored as many as he should. He, he's got some great chances. He's missed some great chances from, from headers, but obviously very good in the box in terms of going in strong. And uh, great to see a defender who's got his fundamentals right. You know, he's positioning-wise, his concentration, his anticipation, everything is good. It's very, very strong. So a solid option to go after. So there's definitely some positives there as you're kind of talking about it some of that positional flexibility which is something that we've seen you know whether it's Reese being able to play a couple different positions whether it's Mace being able to play a couple different positions seemingly very beneficial to the manager in being able to come up with his 11 come up with different strategies also giving him a pathway or a runway maybe not this year but next year with some specific reinforcements to go to a back four it seemingly doesn't lock us out of having to play in a back three or back three being the only real option from a defensive output that we can cobble together so i guess those are the things that would have me feeling pretty good about what we're getting if we were going going in for screenar when you look at some of the weaknesses, though, I, I lo- you know, we've seen a couple of uh, interesting turns of Delict in his first couple outings for Byron that have not been terribly wonderful. And then we've also seen some really great cool Bali stuff. So maybe we've already feeling a little big in the chest about how we've gone on after that deal. But you mentioned here that Maybe he's got some mobility issues and then his aerial match quality, his dueling might be a bit of a concern for us as well. Definitely. I don't know if you remember the one time I sent you this video of Delict uh, against Atalanta and I told you that it's going to be an an issue. He got burned by Malinowski around the center circle and couldn't sprint back. And it's, I think, um, something that you see with, with defenders with that bulk and that ilk in terms of physique and, and, to credit to him, Skriniar, he's, he's definitely much better than Delict in terms of like moving and turning. And then basically in terms of pace, I think he's, he's got it all. But he can be susceptible to be played around. I was watching this game against Sassuolo and, um, you know, he tried to be aggressive. He was trying to make sure that Sassuolo didn't have, you know, this outlet because they always were going to Skamaka and trying to make sure that he was getting balls in, in the right positions, going to Berardi out wide. Uh, and he tried to basically pressure passers when when the ball sort of dropped in the attack in the defensive um opponent's defensive third and and he got dribbled past i think he got dribbled past four times he had to foul somebody on on the counter was very lucky to escape a yellow so it did look like he struggled against against quick attackers there are a couple of games where i've seen him sort of go through this issue where 
he has gone through that. And and he's very good with his feet, Dan. It's not like he's bad. You know, he's not clumsy. Doesn't look like, you know, you've, you've asked him to play football for the first time. He's actually very good with his feet. Sometimes he shows some great skills on the ball. He's able to turn in tight spaces in terms, in terms of navigating around people. He has a remarkable amount of agility, but it's just that the pace, that recovery pace over the first three yards, I think that's going to be a concern, especially in the Premier League. I mean, if you come up against, say, a Pedro Neto or one of those quicker, quicker wingers, how are you going to deal? How are you going to deal with an attacker who's very quick on the turn? I think that's a question mark for me. And the other one being like, you know, he's he's not as good as he should be in the air. Last two seasons, his aerial duel win percentage was like 43% and 50%. So it was it was pretty, pretty bad. You know, I would consider anything around 57, 58% to be very below average, and 43% is shocking. So um Definitely needs to be better in the air. I mean, in the eye test, it doesn't really come across as he's as he's bad in the air because I've seen him attack balls in the box. He is aggressive, tends to win a lot of good aerial duels, but for some reason, his numbers sort of don't reflect it. And it's also not the quality of it, but the quantity. I think the last season he was winning, last to last season, he was winning one aerial duel a game. So maybe it was just the, you know, Serie A not trying to play aerial balls when he was in defense, but... His win percentage was obviously a major concern. So one and one point five wins in the last two years, and that's that's a like a, a concern for me in terms of like his aerial duels. Maybe the numbers are skewed because he's winning far too few of them because they're not trying to play balls, you know, against a, a defense that is Milan Skriniar and Stefan de Bruyne and all these defenders who are very good in the air. So maybe that is happening. You know, it's it's sort of like a skewed data point. But those are probably the two concerns I would raise with, with Milan Skriniar. So that gets us through Fofana, who seems like a really strong pick. Uh, maybe I'll a- continue to ask this over the two episodes. But so we have two names now, Skriniar and Fofana, all things being equal. Where where do they rank in your prioritization list if you were going to say number one is this and number two is that? In terms of just the two or the six that we're defending today? No, no, we're gonna we're gonna keep on updating the list as we go through the six. <laughs> so definitely, Fofana first, and Skriniar second. Okay. Well, one that I I think is gonna net third for you as we continue going through it because I you gave me a little bit of a question mark when I mentioned Pau Torres as a player, but we've seen links to him. He seemingly has been made available by Villarreal for. I don't know, whatever price that they're going to deem that he is worth paying for. It's been in the, I think, 40 to 50 million range in terms of pounds that he's been on offer for. Uh, Basically, at Villarreal with a season on a loan at Malaga, but has played a fair number of matches, has won a Europa League, uh, did not win a Super Cup. kind of underline that point there and you know in general looks ready for kind of a new challenge you know is at that age where he's you know about to be kind of 26 make that step forward in his career kind of really hit his stride there's a lot of things that i think are things to like i think there's a lot of question marks as well you know i think where we've seen buying a Premier league proven player or buying a defender from syria both those things tend to work very well for chelsea we also have seen 
some examples of you know, Spaniards coming into Chelsea's side and doing very well, but also sometimes Spaniards coming into Chelsea's side and not doing very well when it comes to uh, both attack and defense. And so as you were looking at Torres, where did you see the things that would get people excited for him in this Chelsea side? Well, I think in terms of um, being somebody who's intelligent, somebody who has great positioning, I, I think he's, he's up there. He shows some really, really amazing... Um, I think he's got a great, great radar for, for game reading. He understands every moving part and situation that goes on around him. I was watching him play a, a couple of games, I think against um, a pretty high-quality side. And uh, I don't remember the name, though. I mean, uh, but... Um, I think Bayern Munich, yeah, he was playing in yeah, against Bayern Munich in the in the Champions League semifinals, uh, quarterfinals or semifinals uh, last season, and um, the way he was dealing with with the Bayern attackers, I think it was very very impressive um, in the second leg. So there were times when he knew exactly when Thomas Müller would, would try to run behind, um, and he would just spring the offside trap. He would just like jump ahead a good second early and and catch like Müller completely offside. And he did that multiple amount of times where he was just foreshadowing every move that Muller would try to make. So in terms of um, intelligence, in terms of understanding what an attacker is trying to do, he's very, very good. He's a smart defender. Um, he's he's somebody that um, offers also a lot of mobility. He's somebody who's very quick despite his size. You know, he's six feet three, and he he loves sort of getting into these positions where where he can take the initiative in terms of game reading. He loves like getting. Even before the ball comes to the striker, he's happy to put his foot in, win the ball back, and and sort of like circulate it from there. His arguably his best strength is is his passing. He's a phenomenal passer. Against somebody like a Strenier who offers ninety percent, ninety percent at short and mid middle passing, medium term passing, and in the long term passing, he's around seventy two to seventy five percent, which is again a great long passing number. And not just that, when Villarreal push up into the middle third and when, when they have the ball in advanced areas, he does offer a lot of interesting solutions from centre-back. You know, he he will try through balls. He will try to make sure that he gets like switches over the top to, to a wide attacker who's free in space. So he does have good vision from centre-back, something that, you know, we've probably lacked in the past few seasons, somebody who's able to operate from a deeper position and try to nitpick defences from there. So does offer that very, very well. Uh, his his numbers in terms of dueling are very, very strong. He's an excellent dueler across the ground and in the air. I think in the air, he's somewhere around 62%. So he's good. And somewhere in the ground duels, I think it was around 67 or 68%, which is a very strong number. Um, so yeah, and, and he's also very cautious. Like somebody like a Fofana um, likes to sort of be a passive reactive defender. So doesn't get dribbled past very often. You know, even, even though Villarreal like playing possession football, like holding the high line, he's only been dribbled past, I think, 0.3 times uh, per 90 minutes. So that's once every three games, which is a pretty low number compared to ours. Uh, our centre-backs, I think it would rank probably among the top two, maybe even in the number one position in terms of being dribbled past. So... I think in terms of like being a quick, nimble defender, not just in terms of his feet, somebody who thinks very quickly, offers a very different profile to the other centre-backs that we've been linked with. So the I guess the when I was watching Max some of the video and I was trying to think about, I always like the idea of a comp, like who's an example of a player who is very similar to 
the one player that you're analyzing or coming up with a list. And I could not get the mental image of Christensen out of my mind. And I think partially due to frame, partially due to some of those step forward to get in the kind of cool, calm, collected and composed. But I think also had the same adverse of like, ah, could you have gone in a little harder on that challenge? Could you have not been played by as easily? And that's kind of where my mental siren was going off was like we've seen highs and lows of someone like Christensen. It feels like Torres is effectively a very similar player in that regard. But as we transition to weaknesses, is that something that you saw in his game that he maybe embodies some of the same pluses and minuses of someone like a Christensen? Definitely. I think in terms of um, being proactive, somebody who's aggressive by nature, uh, he's definitely not it. He's somebody who likes being a very passive defender. Like I mentioned, there are some good pluses to that. Like you better get triple pass. You're able to view the game, have a little more time to react. But it can, it does manifest itself in in pretty poor ways in his in his game as well. You know, somebody who's just going to play on the back foot and and likes to trust his positioning, likes to trust his his um, sort of confidence in his abilities to deal on the back foot. Maybe that's just something that he prefers to do, but not always the best solution because you're not the only person dealing with, you know, an attack or or a transition in a back four or a back three. You've got other defenders to think about. So if you don't engage on the front foot, you're opening yourself up to, you know, more dangerous pass and a 1v1 somewhere else. So that tends to play against him. Um, Even though he's a good dealer, he he barely engages. You know, like I said, I think the lack of aggression is is very visible. Uh, Somebody who's, Good, got good percentage, but he won't really go in until he has to. He, he tends to use dueling as a very last resort kind of um, tactic, and um, it's. I think it's it's okay in terms of like his his low tackles is fine. You know, he tends to trust his positioning. We talk about somebody like a Maldini, you know, uh, who used to tackle once every two games. So somebody who wasn't really under pressure, he tends to perform the same way, but he's not very aggressive. And, and because of that, he requires a presence next to him who is aggressive, who is able to engage first and who's able to take the initiative, push and make sure that, um, you know, he doesn't have to shoulder that responsibility. And it's uh, something that's been done with VRL as well. He plays next to Raul Albiol, who played next to Koulibaly also. And I think Albiol brings this very aggressive, very anti-Spanish kind of defending, you know, very aggressive on the front foot. Um, will go in for all aerial duels, will go in for very, you know, strong ground rules. Um, and, and he tends to benefit off that. And even in the Spanish team, when I was watching in the Euros, he was playing next to Laporte, um, who did offer a lot more aggression. Somebody who was happy to push forward, happy to nip attacks before they happened. While Torres is a great covering defender, somebody who likes going after second balls, likes being very reactive. He, li- he likes sort of when situations have gone bad, he tends to be like the backup plan, somebody like a safety net to, to clean up after things have gone bad. And he tends to do it very well. But it's just um, does this lack of aggression in a, in a league where you have to be very proactive. You have to be, um, you know, on the front foot in terms of stopping attacks before they happen. Because the longer you let attacks go in the Premier League, the more dangerous they get. I think that's going to be a huge question mark. And also his physicality is a bit of an issue, Dan. I think his frame in terms of, like you mentioned, a Christensen, until the Champions League winning season in, in those last few months, we didn't really see Christensen act as aggressive as 
his seasons before. He was again somebody who was happy to play on the back foot, happy to sort of provide a very covering profile. And he does the same thing. He's six feet three, but not really some somebody who I can see bullying a lot of physical defenders or physical forwards in the Premier League. Um, so that's going to be a major issue. Um, so I think that's that's definitely a question mark. But considering we have somebody like a Koulibaly, somebody who complements his profile, wouldn't be the worst signing. Maybe that's why we are, we are linked with him, but wouldn't be the best one either. All right. So a little good, a little bad, and some elements in between that the jury's still out on how well it would fit into our system. I do think that there's justified concern when you're saying that uh, it's effectively a Christensen-style player. And again, it's more... There's Go back and watch him. I think we're just trying to provide you, the listener, analysis from what we've watched, what we've deep dived into in the stats, the games that we've played back. And maybe you'll come up with a different comparison. You should let us know if you think that he embodies a different defender or a different individual that you, you know, maybe potentially think that could, you know, he could reflect on. So that is kind of the grouping that we had for this first part and i'm going to guess sam that it's still in the order that we did it it's a fafana one screen r2 and then torres three if you were offered all of these options that that would be your ranking of order of priority for the defenders that we've covered so far no i think you've done the chronology well it's still one two three for me (laughs) all right well that is just part one of our defender deep dive getting into the nuts and bolts of player makeups of the many names that you have seen linked with Chelsea over this window. It's actually, I think it's into like 70 plus players now that Chelsea have been linked with this window. And this is just three of them. And this is just three defenders. And so we're going to get you back with another episode going into three more defenders, continue our stack ranking. And who knows, maybe by the time you listen to this, we put in an offer for Fana and the second one isn't as important. But you're going to listen to it anyway, hopefully, because Sam did a lot of amazing work and we want to thank him for coming back on. And so, Sam, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll see you on the next half of this update. Pleasure is mine and looking forward to it. All right, Chelsea fans, well, stay tuned for that episode. Plenty more content coming your way. As always, you can hit us up, join us on Patreon, join our wonderful Discord community, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, let people know where you you found us. That'd be great, too. We enjoy having more members of this wonderful Chelsea community listening to our show, so we appreciate that. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. 